period. I've preached thousands of times. I've preached different countries. I've preached in different states. I've, I've preached for 25 years. I've preached to those that uh, are the, the high clout people in the world, those that are across the railroad tracks on the wrong side of the tracks. I've preached to everyone in between. And I'm going to tell you, there's no more important message in my entire life. Brad, thank you, sir. I okay, that's all right. <laughs> um, but I want to tell you, and I, I'm not just saying this to get your attention. I, I'm saying this out of truthfulness. It's the most important message that I will ever preach, and I, and I think this is the most important message you'll ever hear in your life. Um, I'm going to do a four-week series in the book of Philippians, and I'm going to take either one verse of each chapter. Chapter one is going to be today, either one verse or a passage Next week's going to be several verses, and we're just going to go through a brief little study in Philippians, not nearly exhaustive, but just hit, uh, hit the basics. So I, I want to start, poke your neighbor and say, this is going to be the most important message you ever hear. The title of today is, Are You Existing or Living? Philippians 1 and 21, just turn your eyes to the screens. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is, this is my life's mantra. This is Paul's life's mantra. This is the disciples' life's aim and goal. This is what life is about. And I, I want to convey that to you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your presence, and I thank you for your word, God. I am uh, I'm sobered this morning by your word and what this scripture means to me, and hopefully to everyone in this room. I pray you anoint me to communicate, God. You know, I've studied hard. I've worked hard on this. And I just ask you to bring to my remembrance the things I've studied. And I just pray you speak to us. Let the seed be planted in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Hold your Bibles up, whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. High five two or three people and say, Christ is my life. When Billy Graham was 92 years old, he was developing Parkinson's disease, struggling with that. A month before his 93rd birthday, the leaders of Charlotte, North Carolina, reached out to him and said, we want you to come to a luncheon so we can honor you. Well, he was very hesitant and reluctant because of his Parkinson's disease, and they assured him, look, we don't want some big message. We just want to honor you. So he decided to show up. He showed up, and they said amazing words about him. They said kind things about him, all very true, and he was worthy of that type of honor. They invited him to the podium. 
he got to the podium a month before his 93rd birthday, and he said, I'm reminded at times like this of Albert Einstein, the great physicist and mathematician most of us have heard of. He was voted in 1999 Man of the Century by Time Magazine. Said he was on a train from Princeton one time, and as he was sitting in his seat, the conductor came by to punch the tickets. And as the conductor got to him, he said, Sir, can I see your ticket? To which Albert Einstein checked his vest pocket, it wasn't there. Checked his trouser pockets, it wasn't there. Checked his briefcase, it wasn't there. Checked the seat beside him, it wasn't there. He just kind of looked up at the young man. The young man said, Dr. Einstein, said, we know who you are. We all know who you are. Everybody in this car. Look, if you say you bought a ticket, we're good with that. You don't have to show me the ticket. It's all good. To which Albert Einstein noted and nodded his head affirmatively like and appreciatively like, thanks, I appreciate that. As he got down, the conductor to the end of the car just before he went and changed cars, he looked back and there's Dr. Einstein underneath on his hands and knees looking under the seats. He come running back, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry about it. We know who you are. I know who you are. We all know who you are. You purchase a ticket. We're all good with that. Don't worry about it. To which Albert Einstein looked up at him and said, son, I know too very well who I am, but what I don't know is where I'm going. To which Billy Graham then followed that up and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I too know who I am, but I know where I'm going. And he said, Life without God is like an unsharpened pencil. There's no point. I want to tell you that life is all about Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.21 was Paul's creed. It was his motto, it was his mantra, it was his goal, it was his ultimate aim in life. And I can tell you, there have been times in my life where that was not my mantra or my motto or what I lived by, but I can stand before you and tell you it absolutely is right now. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I die daily. I want to tell you that is the, that is the, that's the trick to Christian life is to die Every day, I believe Paul, before he put his feet on the ground, said, flesh, you're going to die today, and Christ is going to live. He also recorded the words in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Glory to God. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want you to understand three things concerning life today. And these are three very important things. Point number one is this. Jesus is our starting point. Poke your neighbor and say, Jesus is my starting point. I want to relate this verse of Scripture, being that it's in three parts, to a race. In every race, a foot race... A car race, I'm going to use the foot race as my illustration today. There are three elements to every race. It doesn't matter if you're in the schoolyard, the Olympics, it doesn't matter where you're at. You have a starting point, you have the race itself where you're running, and then thirdly, you have a finish line. Well, the starting point is Paul's encounter was this. He's walking on his way to 
kill Christians, have them arrested in Damascus, and a great light shines down. And the voice of God is heard, Jesus speaking to him, and everyone heard it, and Paul's life turned right then. That was the moment of his starting point. In our lives, our starting point to true life only and always begins with Jesus Christ. Somebody say a good amen. amen. For Paul, he started that moment when he came to Jesus. He said, for to me. Everybody just take your hands and hold it over your heart and say, for me. For me. Not for everybody else. Paul wasn't answering for everybody else that heard the voice. What Paul was saying was, for to me, me, my individual decision, my personal choice, my believing, my putting my trust in Jesus. Acts 9, 7 says something very interesting in the same encounter. Watch this. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. The Bible very clearly says everyone with him and his entourage heard the same voice of God speak as Paul did, yet there is no account in the Bible whatsoever of all the other people turning their lives over to Jesus. I don't know. They might have. They might be in heaven today. I'm not sure. But you won't find anywhere in the Bible the only person in that whole entourage that responded to Jesus speaking to him was Paul. They heard the voice. They didn't respond. At least it's not recorded. So I've got a question for you today. God is speaking to you today. I know he is. Will you respond to the voice of Jesus Christ today? Because like Paul, you and I have come to the place where we, regardless of our friends, regardless of our family, regardless of our heritage, regardless of our upbringing, we have all come to a place where we have to make a decision for ourselves. Will we follow Jesus? Christianity is a personal decision, folks. You can't ride grandmama's coattails into heaven. You can't say, well, granddad was a great Christian, and I'm going to get in on his merits. You can't say mom and dad served Jesus, so I'm going to slide in under their pantry. Uh-uh. You have to make that personal decision for yourself. My mom served Jesus Christ. I decided to serve Jesus Christ. I was out in the world doing everything wrong you can imagine, and I will not glorify any of that. I finally had to come to the place where I said, oh, big boy Dallas, you going to serve Jesus or you're not? Are you going to live for him or not? And I want to tell you, at the age of 20, I started serving him. I was a baby Christian. I still made mistakes, but I started going after Jesus. And here I am, 49 years old. I'm 29 years later, and guess what? I don't regret one second. It's been the best 29 years, filled with joy. Yeah, there's been sad moments. There's been tough days. But boy, with Jesus, it's so much better. Somebody say amen. How many of you want to go all in with Jesus? So the question today is, to you, what are you going to do with Jesus today? For to me, is Jesus going to be a casual God? I might come on Sunday. I might not. But I'm not going to touch the Bible Monday through Saturday. I'm not going to really pray. I'm still going to do things my way. But I'll show up on Sunday because I know that's what you're supposed to do. Is Jesus more to you than that? For to me. Poke your neighbor and say, for to me. Jesus is everything. So Jesus is the starting point, but you know point number two is this. Jesus is also our life. Amen. Greek is a very difficult language, so let me just break this down as easy as I know how. In the Greek, 
where it says, for to me, to live is Christ. In the Greek, it's the act of living present, active infinitive. I told you Greek's a tough language. Here's what it means. It simply means to live as Christ is not a one-time thing. Rather, it is a daily, ongoing decision to live in the present with Jesus Christ of every hour of every day. It means that you are living for him always. What are you living for? What is your ultimate aim in life? Paul said to live as Christ. I tell you, standing before all my family in the front row, for my life to live is Christ. They ought to know they live in my house. They'll tell you whether or not it's true. To others, it may be something different. An inscription from a Roman soldier was unearthed that read, to laugh, to hunt, to go to baths, to party, that is life. What a sad life. Danny Rojos, the eternally happy Mexican soccer player, said soccer is life. Mark Twain said, forget heaven, give me Bermuda. You lost your mind, Mark Twain. (laughs) Forget Bermuda, give me heaven. In a writing, uh, someone doing a research on people that were nearing the end of their life, or at least they thought they were, they they wrote a a work called Not Quite What I Was Planning. It's filled with six-word memoirs about life by writers who are famous and obscure. Some of them are funny, some are ironic, some are inspiring, some are heartbreaking. We want you to sum up, they said, six words about life. Write down six words. Here's just a few of them. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Savior complex makes for many disappointments. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. You would think that's written by an older person who lived a long life. That was written by a nine-year-old diagnosed with thyroid cancer. The psychic said I'd be richer. (laughs) Tombstone won't say had health insurance. This is my favorite. Not a good Christian, but trying... (laughs) Here's the saddest one. Thought I would have more impact. How would you fill in this verse? Look at the screen. For to me, to live is. For to me, to live is wealth. Well, what happens when you go bankrupt? For to me, to live is fame and prestige. Well, what happens when that goes away and you go into obscurity? For to me to live is partying. Well, what happens when the party's over? Maybe later today or this week, I would love for you to sit down and honestly in the quiet of your prayer closet, ask yourself this question. For to me to live is fill in the blank. This is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Turn off the phone. Turn off the TV. Remove all the distractions. Meditate on this question. Get out a sheet of piece of paper and answer the question, for to me to live is fill in the blank. Then I would like for you to ask yourself a second follow-up question. Now that I know what I've been living for, am I fulfilled? Because you'll find that rich people are not fulfilled. Why do you think Elvis and all these Incredible stars that had all the money and fame you could imagine turned to drugs and were miserable in their life. 
Why would people like Kurt Cobain write a suicide letter to his daughter and say, don't ever become the miserable soul that I have become? Because what they found was is fame and prestige and money and possessions and all that can't bring you happiness and joy. But I'll tell you who can. His name is Jesus Christ. I want you to be honest. Don't be hasty. What would your answer be? For, for to me to live is school, is work, is pleasure, is possessions, money, travel, relationships. You see, some people sacrifice everything for their life. And then one day they're wondering, 20 or 30 years down the road, how their life got so far off track from where they thought it would be. Because when they started out 20 or 30 years earlier, they thought they'd be here, and somehow they're way over here. I, I'm, a, I'm a hunter. Now, in Ohio, you're not allowed to use a high-powered rifle, but in Georgia, they got good sense, and they let you kill deer with high-powered rifles. <laughs> if you fire a high-powered rifle at 100 yards, and it's an inch off to the left, you fire that, and that scopes an inch off to the left, you fire it at 200 yards, it actually will go four inches to the left. If you fire it at 400 yards, it'll now go eight inches off to the left. The point I'm trying to tell you is the starting point for a bullet and the trajectory going downrange will continue to get further and further and further from the top, from the target, because it's not zeroed in. I want to tell you something here today. There are some of you have wondered, and some of you are sitting right here, how did my life get so far off? It's because your starting point hasn't been Jesus Christ. And so you've been wondering, and now all of a sudden you're looking back going, how did I get so far out here and left field? Where in the world did I get to this point? If you want to get back on track, it is to zero in on Jesus Christ every day of your life, and everything will then get back into target. Somebody shout a good amen. amen. It's very simple to understand. Jesus is the starting point. Amen. Look what Colossians 3, 3 through 4 says. Paul again, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, watch this, who is our Can that be said about you? He is my life. Amen. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. We'll study this chapter in a couple of weeks. I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about earthly things. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless. Worthless. Rubbish. Big pile of dung is what the King James Version. If you want to know what worthless means, there it means dung. It's a big pile of poo. Everything is. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Amen. for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. That's what that word garbage is. Sorry, I meant the other one. Garbage is dung there is what that really means. So that I could gain Christ. Amen. We need to be very careful how we live our lives. Luke 12, 15, here's what Jesus said. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Listen, most people live very passively. Only the few are laser-focused in this life, athletically in sports, 
maybe with a, a social or political causes or financial security. They're laser focused on that, but it's very few. And all these focuses can be good. I'm not down on them, but be careful and be mindful that the priority and the main starting point and the main focus of your life is Jesus Christ first and foremost. When this life is over, listen to me, the only thing that's going to matter is whether you had a relationship with Jesus or not. Possessions won't matter. You can't take them with you. There are no U-Hauls going to heaven. Fame and prestige is going down in the casket with you. I want to tell you the only thing that will matter is Jesus Christ. Alexander the Great, seeing the great Greek philosopher Diogenes, Standing with a puzzled look on his face over a great big pile of bones, came up and said, what are you looking at? He said, that which I cannot find. The difference between your father's bones and those of his slaves. When this life's over, folks, we're all on equal ground. Your money won't get you into heaven. Your sorrow won't get you into heaven. Your possessions, your fame, who you were in this life or who you weren't, none of that's going to get you anywhere. The only thing that's going to get you through them pearly gates and to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is if you had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you've been washed in the blood by his grace. Somebody shout amen. Amen. John 14, 6 said, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth. Watch this. And the No one comes to the Father but by me. I want to tell you something. If you don't have Jesus, you're just existing. You don't have life. A life without Jesus is existing. Look at the screen. The Greek language has two words for life. One is bios, and it means mere biological existence. The other, zeo, means life in all its fullness. Do you want to just have mere biological existence? Or do you want to have life and life to its fullest? We are being offered by Jesus Christ life to its fullest, not just in the afterlife, but in this life too. Does that mean, Pastor, I'm never going to have a problem? No, you're going to have issues. You're going to have sorrows, disappointments. You're going to have all that. But you've got the Holy Spirit and Jesus to walk you through it and to fill you with joy in spite of those things, give you peace in spite of those things. Somebody shout glory. What we are being offered is not an endless extension of our biological existence, but rather a transformation of that existence, where we have life. John 10, 10, to the fullest. Look what it says. The thief comes not to accept to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus speaking, I have come that they, you, me, have life and have it more abundantly. Glory to God. What does it mean when Christ is our life? When Christ is our life, we purpose to know him in every way and know more about him and discover him. There are people out there, man, they can tell you all the latest on any sports figure or movie star out there. They know what's going on with the Kardashians. They know where Taylor Swift is and what she's up to and who the next boyfriend is. They know what Joe Burrow's going on with his calf injury. I mean, they know every little thing about every person. There are incredible professors in universities that are experts on historical figures like Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and and Albert Einstein. But what I find interesting is that God-fearing people who live for Jesus in the church or who proclaim to live for Jesus in the church know very little about who Jesus is. 
If you want to know more about Jesus, get in the book. If you're new to church, let me tell you where to start reading. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different authors, four different perspectives about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. When you're done with that, go to the epistles. That's not the apostles' wives, that's letters. That's what that means. (laughs) The letter to Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. They're great for new believers. Why? Because those letters were written to new believers in that church. It's instructions on how to live. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. Get in the Word of God and find out who God is. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Look, when Christ is our life, man, you can't wait to get up and come to church on Sunday. When Christ is our life, you can't wait for the music to start so you can worship. When Christ is your life, you can't wait to get in your prayer closet every day and be in his presence. You can't wait to hear what he has to say in his word. You can't wait to serve and give of yourselves. Listen, if you're in a place where you can take church or leave it, where, you know, okay, I can take small group or leave it, no big deal. I don't really need to pray today, I'm good. When you're in a place where you can take God or leave it, you need to ask yourself, is Christ really my life? In the 1980s, some of you may be too young to remember this, but they had an ad campaign, and those of you my age or older will know, be like Mike. You remember that? That was Michael Jordan, right? Be like Mike. What that meant was wear the shoes he wears, wear the Air Jordans, right? There are people still wearing Air Jordans today. (laughs) Be like Mike. Eat the cereal he eats. You know, he was on the Wheaties box. I got thinking, I don't even think they have Wheaties anymore. But he ate his Wheaties that morning. You remember that? Be like Mike. Go out on the court and play like him. Not on your life. No other human being ever. I have a new ad campaign that I want to give to the church around the world. Be like Christ. Be like Jesus. Walk like Jesus walked. Talk like Jesus talked. Do the things Jesus did. Behave like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Have faith like Jesus. Somebody say, be like Christ. Then poke your neighbor and say, be like Christ. Woo! Poke your other neighbor and say, be like Jesus. So you run your life and... And, and, and you run your life for Jesus, so you're running the race, and then you get to the finish line. That's point number three, to die is gain. Point number three is this, Jesus is our finish line. Jesus is our starting point. Jesus is our life. Jesus is our finish line. Have you seen a common theme there? It's all Jesus. Remember, he is the finish line, to die. To die in the Greek literally means to die. To perish, to cease to exist. What, a, what an incredible end goal to get to heaven. But, but I'm, I'm painting a little something different here. And this is what the Lord, I need you to just give me a few minutes and hang with me right now. Just a couple minutes, watch this. I'm not here referring just to physical death today. I'm here preaching death to ourselves today. To die is gain. Rarely do we connect the idea of gain with death. We say things like, it was a great loss. If they were a Christian, it ain't a great loss to them. If they're a Christian, it's a great gain to them. Look, how many of you, if you died and went to heaven, would want to come back here? We'd all want to stay there, right? 
Oh, Boudreaux and Thibodeau were talking over work down in Louisiana. Thibodeau said, Boudreaux, you know when you die, your wife's going to get remarried, and she's going she to put that man in your house, drive your truck, sleep in your bed. Boudreaux got all tore up about it. Boudreaux went home. He said, Marie, he said, girl, he said, if I die, you're going to get remarried? She said, Boudreaux, what in the world has gotten into you? I need to know. Tell me. Are you going to get remarried? Well, you know, Boudreaux, you wouldn't want me to be lonely, would you? I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't be want to live my life in solitude. I, I wanna, you know, I probably would get remarried. Oh, well, well would, you, would, you, would you let him move in the house and sleep in my bed? She said, Boudreaux, quit asking questions like that. I need to know, Marie, you got to tell me. She said, well, Boudreaux, if I got married, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to live somewhere. I mean, we'd have to sleep somewhere. We got the bed in the house. And yeah, we'd probably move him in the house. Oh, he said, would you give him my truck? Boudreaux, quit asking stuff like that. I need to know, Marie, please tell me. Would you give him my truck? Boudreaux, well, we'd have to go to work, and we'd have to go to the doctor and the grocery store. So, yeah, I probably wouldn't give him your truck. Oh. He said, Marie, please don't tell me. Would you let him play golf in my golf club? She said, no, nah, he's left-handed. Death is gain. Death is good, but only for the Christian. For the Christian, they get heaven. For the Christian, they get Jesus. For the Christian, they go after the Lord. The word gain here means profit, advantage, or lucre. It's an old word for any gain or profit or interest on money. God says when you die, not just physically, but when you die to yourselves, it's actually gain for you. When you choose to surrender to Christ, you're not losing anything. You're gaining everything. Amen. couple was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They got tired of February, the ice and snow up to their neck. He said, honey, we're going to Florida for a week. Pack your bags. We're going to get out of here. I'm buying plane tickets. We're going down to South Florida where we can get in the sun and the sand and the warm water and weather. She said, well, I got a business meeting I got to attend to tomorrow, but you go on down, and I'll come down a day later. He said, okay. He flew down there. He got his swimming trunks on. He was so excited. Back in the days when email just first came out, I know for those of you under 30, you think email always existed. Some of us remember when there was no email. How many remember when there was no internet, no email, no cell phone, no none of that? I mean, we thought we were big when beepers came out. <laughs> then you had to pull over and go to a payphone. I know some of you don't know what that is either. And call whoever was paging you. Anyways, he decided in his haste, I've got to get out to the water. He's going to send a quick email to his wife. Let him know, her know, he got there. Well, in his haste, his wife's name is Jen Johnson, J-E-N-N Johnson, in his haste and new emails, he sent it to Gene Johnson, J-E-A-N. One letter off. The problem was Gene Johnson lived in Houston, Texas, and had just gotten back from the funeral of her husband, who was a preacher, minister, sat down at her chair. The funeral's over. The family's getting dressed. She sees an email pop up. She screams to high heaven, faints out of the chair in the floor. The family comes running over, thinking she's dead. They look at the screen, and they see these words. Hi, honey. 
just got checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. P.S. It sure is hot down here. That's not good. Paul found himself in a rock and a hard place. Paul is torn between the living and the dying. He's wrestling with dilemma. And I want to tell you, you and I have the same decision to make today. Jokes and funnies aside, do we choose to live for self or for Christ? We, too, have an inner struggle. Will we continue to do the things we want? Will we continue to live for our own personal satisfaction? For our own selfish ambition? Or will we live for Christ? Because when you live for Jesus, he floods your soul with things like love and joy and peace and all the fruits of the Spirit that we love. I'll tell you one of the greatest verses of Scripture in the whole Bible is found in Genesis 5, 24. Look at the screen. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, I know they couldn't find him. God took him on out of this world. But I want to tell you, he died to himself. He walked so close to God. I believe God looked down at Enoch one day and said, Well, son, you're so close to me now. You're a lot closer to me than you are to the earth. Just keep on walking. Leave that earth behind. What would your life be like if you truly died to yourself for Christ? What could be done for the kingdom of God? What would Jesus do through you? You see, death is a beautiful thing. We enter the fall season right now. I don't know about you. I love the leaves, the bright oranges and reds and yellows. What makes them so pretty? They're dying. Death in the sight of God is precious to him. The death of his saints is precious to God. I don't mean necessarily physical death today. I'm talking about we're a death to our own will and ways. That's where we have real life. Closing story and we'll pray. In 1943, Edith Schubert wrote a book called Paris Underground in which she proclaimed and wrote the details of being trapped in Paris because the German Nazis came in 1940 and they shut the country down. They closed the border down, put guards at it. They wouldn't let anybody in or out. You were stuck. But it was a small French border town that had a cemetery right on the edge of town, and the town was diminishing in its population right and left. And the Germans were like, where's everybody going? What is going on here? They couldn't figure it out. Finally, the Nazis did a little investigation. They found that in this cemetery that bordered a free land, that the locals had opened up an ancient gate at the rear of the graveyard wall. So every time there was a funeral, mourners would walk into the graveyard, walk right to the back, out that ancient gate, and into a land of freedom and life. And what an imagery for you and I today. True life and real freedom starts with dying to yourself. And in dying, you'll find true life. Before church started today, somebody said, I want prayer. I want to quit smoking. I need God to deliver me. 
Basically, you know what she said? She said, I want to die to this. I said, well, if you want to, God will deliver you right now. We prayed. So I just left these Marlboros right here on the altar as a symbol of dying so that you can live. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I have two different altar calls right now. The first altar call is this. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you're here under the sound of my voice and you say, wow. And I, I don't have, I never died. I don't, I've never received Jesus. But I think I'd like to. As I scan back the recent years, maybe the last decade, 20 years, 30 years, I see my life has just gotten so far off track. And preacher, if you're telling me that Jesus can get me back on track, I want Jesus. I want real life. I don't want to just exist anymore. You know that's you. I'm not going to embarrass you and ask you to come down. We do have prayer people that are going to see your hand. They're going to come pray with you right where you're at because we're not going to embarrass you, but... If that's you, you can feel your heart pounding. You know this message was for you. Say, Pastor Dallas, please count me in. I, I want to be included in this prayer. I, I want to receive Jesus. When I count to three, I want you to hold your hand up high and hold it high. Don't let pride or whatever stop you. Just hold it high in the air and just keep it there. And somebody's going to come pray with you. Ready? One, two, three. Come on, hold that hand up. Where are you? Is there anybody? Is there anybody? What will you do with Jesus? Will you be one of the entourage that hears the voice of God today and doesn't respond? Or will you be like Paul and say, this is my starting point, my newness in life? Is there anybody? Would you raise your hand? Anybody at all? No one raising their hand. For the rest of everybody, I'll just assume then most everybody here has given their life to Jesus. You're in here and you say, there's an area of my life that I've not really died to. There's still this one area, maybe multiple areas, where I'm trying to do things my way. Like Elvis, I did it my way. I'm doing it my way. I'm ready to do it Jesus' way. I'm ready to die all over. I'm ready to be a living sacrifice. If you're in here and you say, I've already done it, I want to invite you to come to the altar anyways. Just to... Just to renew, just to refresh, just to, just to die, to lay yourself on that altar one more time. An altar was death. It was sacrifice. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I'm going to open this altar up right now, and I want to invite everyone. You may be the greatest Christian in this church. Maybe there's an area of your life where you say, I need to die to this. Maybe you're in here and you brought in some kind of bondage and you say, I need deliverance. 